Yes, more organizations are working remote, but is it working for your team? If you're tired of all the Zoom calls, you might first consider your mindset. In this episode, the practical steps to support remote leadership. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 509. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of my favorite books of all time is a book called Transitions by William Bridges. And in that book, he talks a lot about change and transition, and he makes the distinction that change tends to be external. It tends to be something that happens very quickly to us. And yet transition is internal. It may take a lot of time for us to actually make the transition and to change our mindset. Today, I'm so glad to be able to welcome a guest who has an expert in helping us to change our mindset and how we work, and specifically how we work remotely. I'm so glad to welcome Tammy Bielen to the show. She is the founder and CEO of Workplaceless, a training company that teaches remote workers, leaders, and companies how to work, lead, grow, and thrive in distributed environments. Workplaceless is a fully distributed company supporting enterprise, remote, and government clients such as Toyota, GitLab, the U.S. Department of Commerce, and many more. With her background in higher education, publishing, ed tech, e-learning, and corporate training, she's passionate about driving and supporting the future of learning and the future of work. Tammy, so glad to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Oh, the pleasure is mine. As I've been following your work uh, over the last year or so, and as I dived in on one of your courses, there's a quote that really leapt out at me. And you say in the course, the number one hesitation that businesses have about becoming more distributed is, how will I know that my team is working if I can't see them? And the answer is, you won't. And I I was thinking about that because a lot of what I've heard about struggles around remote work and thinking about what our clients have said over the years comes down to the word control. How does control get in the way of teams and organizations making a transition like this? Yeah, control and the need for control is one of the biggest obstacles to adopting remote work long-term. And we've seen in the short term, in the current situation with the massive or the mass adoption of remote work, organizations and managers being forced to give up some control, but there's still that need or that that feeling like you need to have control. And in remote work, the question shouldn't be, how will I know my team is working? Because the act of working isn't what's important. What's important is the work that is done. And so the question really should be, how will I know that my team has worked? Or how will I know that the work is done? And the work is good. And by shifting that question a little bit, you're approaching one of the basic concepts of what a remote work structure should be. And that is focusing on results as opposed to focusing on input. And that question, whenever we get asked that question, how do I know that my team is working? That is 
an immediate indicator to us that there are control issues within the leadership team. And often that manifests itself in micromanagement, which is, you know, not an effective way to manage in general, but in remote work, it's especially detrimental because in remote organizations or in uh, effective remote environments, trust in your colleagues and trusting that your colleagues are doing work and are getting their work done is fundamental to making sure that the overall culture is conducive to a remote structure. One of the invitations you make to organizations is to adopt something you call a placeless mindset. What's a placeless mindset and what's different about it than the mindset that we typically have approached the workplace? Yeah, a placeless mindset is an integrated way of thinking, living, and working. It is a a philosophy uh, more than anything else. And it's one that recognizes that our lives and therefore our work, they're not stuck in a place. They're not dependent on a place in order to happen. And the Placeless Mindset is based on five principles. First one is to embrace location independence over physical presence. Second is to empower autonomous work with flexible schedules. The third is to impact productivity with asynchronous communication and collaboration. The fourth is to be open and transparent. And the fifth is to trust your colleagues and employees. So those key principles as you as a leader and as an organization, if you're able to embrace that, you're going to do a better job at at making this transition. And I, I would love to dive in on some of those because I think that there's some really key, there's some key lessons for us as we think about making a transition like this. And the first one is embracing location independence over physical presence. What's the benefit of doing that? The benefit of doing that is in really recognizing that work can be done anywhere. And so when you embrace location independence and you see it as a benefit instead of uh, an obstacle to overcome, then you can really leverage all of the benefits that location independence brings you. Um, So for instance, tapping into a global talent market. That is an incredible benefit that is available to organizations that have a placeless mindset. And an organization that doesn't have a placeless mindset is limited to in their talent pool to one geographical or several geographical locations. I'm thinking back to that control that we mentioned earlier and how many organizations um, do have control and a bit of that fear of like, well, if I allow more flexibility, or if we do allow more remote work, that we are giving up a lot of things. And it it is interesting to me how often I've seen studies, but also just anecdotal uh, evidence, and and both in my own career and through clients, that once an organization has made that transition of that mindset, how often they discover the opposite. Um, Either things work just as well as they did after making the transition, uh, or in some cases, they find that productivity actually goes up. And I, I love the point about thinking about a workforce as a global workforce. All of a sudden, you open up the opportunity to bring someone in to the organization uh, talent-wise that you may not have thought about before making a transition like this. Yeah, absolutely. And there are many other benefits, too, to to remote work. And I think you know many organizations now that are sort of confronting this pivotal moment and and figuring out 
what to do next, um, a lot of the focus tends to be on the how, and they're not yet focusing on, or they haven't given time to focus on the why. And the why is really what's going to build buy-in and commitment from all levels within the organization. And that why could be, you know, tapping into a global talent pool. It could be wanting to create a more equitable and more positive work culture for employees. So we always encourage organizations that work with us to think about the why before they dive into, okay, how are we going to make this happen? Oh, that's really interesting, that distinction. When you are talking with organizations, what does language sound like that they're talking about internally when it's why language versus language where it's how language? Mm. So how, I'll start with the hows first, because I think that's typically, you know, you'll probably recognize this as well, but it's, all right, well, who do we let work remotely? Like who's going to be allowed to work remotely and who's going to have access to that benefit? How are we going to protect our data when everybody's working from home? Or how are we going to collaborate together? You know, all of our ideas, all of our great conversations when we're in a meeting room, all of those ideas that we collect on a whiteboard and we have those great discussions, how are we going to be able to replicate that in a virtual environment? And so those are the typical questions that we get even as first contact with organizations that are looking for help. Um, but we try to get them to start talking about the language or start talking about the why using language like benefits to individuals. So to employees, to managers, and to leaders, as well as other stakeholders. So we talk about the impact, like what is going to be the desired engagement. If, if you're measuring engagement um, among your workforce, what improvements do you want to see there? What impact do you want to see in terms of business outcomes? So ideally, when you have a transition to a remote structure, you're going to maintain the business outcomes that you had established as goals for your organization when it was co-located or hybrid. And the desired goal should be then to maintain those business outcomes and then also to identify you know what is the overall impact that it's going to have on your customers on the ability to for your organization to be agile and adapt with an evolving market so we really encourage organizations to think about that desired future state like what does work look like in 12 months and what does that mean for your employees? What does that mean for their experience? What does it mean for the manager's experience? What does it mean for your customers and their experience? So really visualizing what that vision is for a future state of remote work. I'm guessing there are a lot of organizations that reach out to you. And the, the first, as you mentioned, the first context of the conversation is the how, right? Logistically, how do we do this? And as you start talking with them that some organizations really get to that place of embracing that why and dive in on that and really bring that into the heart of what they're doing. And some organizations may espouse that, but they don't really get there. The ones that really do embrace the why, that really do make the transition of their mindset, what's different about them? So typically what's different about those organizations is there are leaders at 
a very high level. So typically at the executive level that have really bought into remote work. And so they typically model those placeless principles. And by modeling the behavior that's associated with those placeless principles, they're able to demonstrate that they are committed to making remote work work. And that trickles down to lower levels of leadership and then to individual contributors. But when we see executives really buy into all of these concepts and also model that behavior, that's when we know that there is a convincing, a compelling why that executives have established and they're able to communicate that effectively to the rest of their team. When you think about someone or maybe an organization you've worked with in the past that's modeled that well, what are the kinds of things that the executives who are modeling that behavior are are doing that maybe are a little different than how most organizations might approach it? So typically those executives are having internal conversations about those exact, so they might not be using the same terms that we're using, but they're asking the questions that need to be asked. They're having internal conversations and they're tapping into the expertise of other organizations and other consultants of outside experts that have been through that process of transitioning and have done it well. And so they are not afraid to talk about or find out what they don't know. And that that manifests itself in, in various different activities, but they are asking questions. They're empowering their leaders to find out what they don't know. And then they find out what they need to know in order to address those things that they don't know. And they're, they're, those leaders are empowered then to make decisions. And so in, with organizations that we see as successful in making that shift over to a more remote or remote hybrid model, we see empower, empowerment of decision makers and really clear decision-making processes. So it's very obvious who owns what decision and there's accountability measures in place for people to follow through. So when we have conversations with organizations that don't have a very concrete idea, they don't have a concrete vision of what they want remote work to be, usually those conversations are not as productive because there is vague or non-existent ownership of decisions that need to be made and then the actions that need to happen in order to follow through with those decisions and make that plan a reality. So those are some of the things that we see in successful executives and you know leadership teams when transitioning to remote. That's super helpful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and, and an element too of curiosity of, you know, here's what I don't know. Let me go find out what other organizations are doing, what the experts are doing around this. Uh, so, so much that's a theme for leadership that keeps coming up in our, on our show and conversations, <laughs> isn't it? One of the other things that has just come up uh, in remote work often, but, but especially, you know, through COVID and everything that's been happening is um, we've all heard these complaints and some of us have said them like, I'm done with Zoom. I'm done with the video meetings all day long. And if that that's the remote work style. No, I don't want any of it. And and so it was interesting me thinking about some of those complaints I've heard over the last year and some of our leaders in our organizations navigating that. And one of the principles for really a placeless mindset is asynchronous communication. 
which is not Zoom. It's not being on video. And I'm wondering if you could maybe walk us through that. Why the focus on on asynchronous? And and maybe we should define that term too, as, as I'm saying that out loud. Yeah, absolutely. So asynchronous communication is communication that does not happen simultaneously. So Dave and I are having a conversation. We're recording it on Zoom. It's happening at the same time. So that's synchronous communication. A meeting with a virtual meeting with uh, attendees from all over the world. If it's happening at 1 p.m. Eastern, it's happening at various different time zones. That's all synchronous communication. Asynchronous is when it doesn't happen simultaneously. So I add my thoughts to a document, for instance, and then five hours later, Dave gets to it at the end of his workday and he adds his communication or comments to that document. That's asynchronous communication. And the reason that asynchronous communication is so critical in remote work is that it is more inclusive. It allows everybody to actually leverage the flexibility of remote work and do their work, part of which is communication, do their work at a time that best suits them, whether it is because uh, writing or contributing thoughts to a document before their kids wake up early in the morning, that's a time that works for them, or whether they do their best collaborative thinking in the afternoon, that's the time that works for them. Asynchronous communication allows teams and individuals to actually leverage the flexibility of remote work. And that's why it's so critical. Because Dave, as you mentioned, the Zoom Zoom fatigue is because we are trying to make remote work feel more like the office. And the whole point of remote Uh, work is that it is not like the office. Yeah. You know, that's such a profound thing. And I hadn't really thought about it that simply before. And that's where you end up with the eight hours of Zoom meetings a day that some people have been navigating. And I was thinking about this too. One of our community members wrote to me about remote learning recently and said the policy in their organization is basically, we don't know what people are doing if we can't see them. So make sure every discussion is on Skype or Zoom. And oh. and it's really... Um, it's interesting because we don't do that in a co-located environment, right? I mean, there are times you have busy days and meetings, but you're not on you're not in meetings eight hours a day, most of us. I know we all have those days where we are. but uh, And yet somehow we feel like we need to overcorrect when we get into a remote environment versus really leveraging the strengths of what remote work should be, right? Yeah. And um, I mentioned inclusion you know, a little bit ago. And, and really, if we think about prioritizing asynchronous communication, Asynchronous communication is usually documented somewhere, right? It's in Slack where you can search for it. It's on a document that is visible to everyone at all times. And that means that people who aren't in the proverbial room, they can still contribute. They're still aware of what's going on in the organization. They can know what decisions have been made. And that is incredibly powerful because you're including more people than you would if you were limiting all of that access and all of that activity and participation to just people who can be in that room at that time. And so when we talk about a placeless mindset, we really encourage an individual as well as organizational development of prioritizing asynchronous communication over synchronous communication. Hmm. Because I, I do think that, you know, Dave, you're so right about the overcorrection 
And it's also just the easiest thing to do, right? Like Dave, you and I, we need to come to an agreement or we need to create something. Let's just have a meeting about it. But we don't actually think critically about whether that is the best use of our time and our efforts and our energy. And I think, you know, we can all realize at this point after having navigated such a strange year in 2020 that, you know, energy is one of our most limited resources. And we all are responsible for monitoring that energy and making sure that we're spending it in the best place possible. And as leaders, we have double the responsibility because we need to manage that for ourselves, but also for the people that we're managing. Boy, and you really said it a moment ago of that that it's simple, right? It's not necessarily good getting on a meeting or getting on Zoom for every interaction, but it is simple. And mm-hmm. so it takes some intention to move beyond that and say, okay, let's let's make a really thoughtful strategic decision about what tools we're using. When organizations and even individual leaders kind of get that, what does that look like? Is it is it something they say? Is it a document that comes up? Like when the te- when an organization and a team really understands that and, and goes beyond just the default, okay, let's just hop on a Zoom meeting. What is it that shows up? What does it look like? Yeah, when we work with organizations to develop their asynchronous communication muscle, uh, we first start by developing a communication charter. And this is an agreement of how communication will happen what types of messages are exchanged and what channels are used for that communication type, as well as what does this look like in reality and what does this not look like? What are, what are bad or non-examples of this communication? Um, and we start by laying all of that out so it's very clear what channel we need to be using in order to accomplish certain goals. For instance, in our team, we have a communication charter and we have, you know, a whole tool stack, which we all have. We use Zoom, we use Slack, we use Google Docs, we use Mural as our um, virtual whiteboard. And all of those tools have specific purposes and types of exchanges. And so we're very clear about, you know, if you have a comment or a suggestion on a, about a specific content item, that suggestion needs to go as a comment within that document. Don't add it in Slack because that is not where that kind of comment goes. Slack is for, you know, exchanges among multiple people. If you need to go back and forth more than three times to clarify something, then you need to schedule a call just to clarify something. But we're very intentional, to use the word that you used earlier, about what channel is used for certain purposes. And that's how we start off with organizations as well. Because often teams have sort of compiled this whole mass of tools and there's not any agreement or alignment on how everybody's supposed to be using those tools. So Zoom, for instance, becomes the de facto communication for everything, even if it's just sharing an update which I know we can all agree is probably the worst use of a visual (laughs) or virtual meeting platform is just attending like a weekly update where somebody is reading slides or reading long paragraphs. So when Zoom becomes a de facto for everything, you're not, again, you're not 
leveraging all of those benefits and all of those features of all of the other tools that are available to us. So listing out the tools that we use, identifying how we use them as a team, and agreeing to use them in an aligned and consistent way. And part of that is also creating steps for addressing when that communication charter or agreement is is not being followed. So, Uh you know, we have an established process for calling somebody out professionally and politely, but saying, you know, according to our communication charter, this is not how we use this tool. Let's use this tool. Um, And if changes need to be made, then changes are made, but then the entire team needs to be aware and agree um, and follow through with those agreements. Wow, that's huge. It's so much uh, conflict comes from unclear expectations. So just getting clear in advance. And I, I know it takes time and attention to do what you just described of putting together the flowchart. And here's what we would do as an organization when someone doesn't follow the, the the process. And yet, I have to imagine that makes such a difference on a daily, weekly, monthly basis as far as number of hours of communication time, efficiency. It just seems like it would be night and day the difference. Oh, it's huge. And also, you know, just on an individual level, how many times have you thought, oh, you know, do I respond? Do I send out an email to my team? Do I send this on Slack? Do I add this as a comment or do I just add it to all three of those things? And so if we multiply that decision-making time by every single individual contributor and manager on a team, that's so many minutes of indecisiveness and not being sure. And then when you're oversaturating those channels with communication, you're also wasting other people's time because they're having to consume that information in multiple channels, as opposed to being more streamlined and just sending that information to the one channel it needs to be in. Huge. I know there are people listening to this who are nodding their head and saying, I get it. Uh, I need to do more of this as a leader, maybe as an organization, or maybe already are doing some of this. And yet, they are working in a larger organization where senior leadership or the top person is not yet there. They're the person that is still very concerned with control. Maybe there's some fear about um, doing more of this. For the leader who finds themselves in an organization where senior leadership isn't there, the culture is not yet there to do more of this. What can they do as a starting point that gets them, at least their team, moving in this direction a bit? Yeah, in our workshops, we always encourage our participants to think of one tiny action or an OTA. Um, So something that they can do today to embrace a placeless mindset or whatever the desired outcome of um, a workshop is. And so I'll, I'll share an example OTA for leaders in that position. So Today, I invite everyone listening to consider all of the meetings that they have on their schedule for the coming week or even for the coming two weeks and really evaluate whether the purpose of those meetings is to share information, get work done. So create something or edit something or something productive or to develop relationships. So there are other purposes for meeting, but we can start with those three types of meetings. And if those meetings, if any of those meetings are just to share information, consider using an asynchronous 
platform to disseminate that information. Um, so just consider just one meeting that you have that is just an update meeting or something to share information and consider how you can share that information and accomplish that purpose without taking up people's time in a synchronous meeting. Huge. Tammy, thank you so much for that invitation. Um, and I hope that folks will take the step to take that first step uh, if they find themselves in that situation. There's so much more that your organization is doing on this. So I want to make two invitations to folks if you found this conversation helpful. Uh, first of all, I'm going to be linking up in the show notes and this week's weekly leadership guide, a article on the Workplaceless website uh, called A Placeless Mindset. It talks about the key foundations for a successful remote team and leadership. I'd invite you to dive in there in a lot more detail that we didn't cover today. Also, there's a landing page on Going Placeless of, on your website, Tammy, for those who do want to do more and jump in and maybe get some of that expert support. Uh, certainly a wonderful starting point for you. So check that out. Tammy, one final question for you. You know, it has been quite a journey through COVID and thinking about remote work. There have been transitions that have happened in the last year or so that probably would have taken 10 years normally, and yet here we are in a very new world. As you and your organization and clients have navigated this over the last year or so, what have you changed your mind on? Yes. So when we first started out and everybody was adopting, started out you know, at the beginning of the pandemic and everybody was beginning to work remotely and you know, organizations were making public announcements about how long this remote experiment was going to last. I thought that mindset would no longer be an issue or it would become a smaller issue than it had been before 2020. That was completely wrong. <laughs> I had assumed that with people adopting remote work and seeing how remote work could work, that there would be this magical shift in mindset and in traditional ways of working and business principles. And I thought that people would just want to embrace remote work in the long term. And some of these mindset obstacles would just magically go away. And what I've changed my mind about is that actually mindset right now is even more of an obstacle to sustainable long-term remote work than it was before 2020. And the reason I, I think that is because when we were helping organizations make the transition to remote before, we automatically assumed that these organizations had the time to make that transition in a thoughtful, intentional, and strategic way. And so we were providing all of those resources and support to make sure that they were thinking about the questions that they needed to think about to make remote work sustainable. And now we've seen many organizations just quickly adopt remote work without having the time to think about it strategically and think about all of the components that need to be invested into a supportive, positive remote work environment. And so individuals are experiencing a less than optimal remote work experience. And so now we're having to battle not just the sort of long standing assumptions or biases about remote work, but we're also having to battle these really negative experiences 
that people are having. And, you know, to no fault, really, there's no blame to be assigned to anyone in this. It's just the situation that happened. And it's one of the challenges that I, as a remote work advocate and our organization, as a company that's committed to improving the, you know, the sustainability and the experience of remote work, just something that we are, you know, continuing to to need to be aware of um, and continue to develop materials and resources that can help address some of those issues. Tammy Bieland is the founder and CEO of Workplaceless. Tammy, thank you so much for your expertise. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Obviously, remote work isn't practical or possible for every team or organization. Even if that's the case for you, I hope that many of the practical steps in this conversation will be useful to you when thinking about communication on your team. Thanks again, Tammy, for your support of helping us to do this better. Several related episodes that may also be useful to you on this topic. Uh, You heard Tammy talk about the importance of starting with why. Of course, no one knows that better than Simon Sinek. He's been on the show a couple of times before, and he was on episode 223 talking about that start with why and making that invitation as he always does. A great compliment to this conversation, looking at the bigger picture first and inspiring you to do that. As I was preparing for this episode today, I realized uh, and was embarrassed that remote work is not a topic on the website to be able to search for past episodes. Well, it is now because we've had a number of episodes in the past that have really tied into this topic and will be great compliments to this conversation as well. So in addition to this episode, you may also find useful episode 464, How to Balance Care and Accountability When Leading Remotely. Jonathan Raymond was my guest on that episode. He is the creator of The Accountability Dial and the author of the book, Good Authority. So many of you have utilized the accountability dial with such success over the years. And in episode 464, we looked at how specifically to hold people accountable in a remote work environment. That is a very useful process and one that will support a lot of what we talked about in this conversation. Also useful is the episode right after that, episode 465, when COVID started being prevalent in the world. Uh, We invited back Susan Gerke on the show. She talked about some of the key principles for leading a remote team and a number of things that will be helpful to you as you make that transition. A little bit more of the how in that episode, but a good compliment to this conversation as well. And of course, many others now under the remote work section of the website. If you have not yet set up your free membership, I invite you to do so. That's going to give you access to the entire library searchable by topic of all the episodes aired since 2011. And you can get there by going over to coachingforleaders.com, setting up your free membership, When you do, you will get access to be able to search the entire catalog by topic. You'll also get access to all of the free audio courses on the website, uh, my personal library of everything I've cataloged and passed along in the weekly leadership guides over the last several years. And you'll also begin receiving my weekly leadership guide that comes every Wednesday. It includes the notes and uh, links for every episode and also some of the resources that I've been finding for you during the week that will support you in your next step in your leadership development. All of that at coachingforleaders.com. Next week, I'll be glad to be back with you on Monday for the next conversation. Have a fabulous week and thanks so much for listening.